Mr. Waller, I've offered this man a lot of money to do this, okay? Because it's worth it to me. However, I don't care if I end up penniless. I don't care if I have to spend my life savings. I will see to it that you end up in the hospital for one week, Mr. Waller. Do you understand me? <laughs> I need me a Japanese. Hello there, folks. Welcome to We Don't Know Wrestling. This is an episode of the Desert Island Comp series. I am your host, Sam DiMaggio. And joining me on this episode, I was going to say this week, but, you know, it's been about six months since the last one, so it doesn't feel like it quite rings home. Uh, Chad Campbell, how are you doing? Doing good, Sam. Uh, this has been a long time coming. I think our first DMs on doing one of these is pre-COVID, which uh, <laughs> is <laughs> now that we're two years in it's like oh wow <laughs> can you remember a time yeah, yeah. Th- things aren't ending oh wow okay cool. <laughs> cool remember remember those two weeks where i thought i'd just hang out and then everything would be hunky-dory uh, not quite everything so. would just go back yeah not sure. quite no um but yeah thanks for hopping on um i know like you said we've been talking about this for a while and kind of gonna go through the ringer here we got Ten matches, three angles. That's the Desert Island Comp. Um, you actually, unlike some other uh, guests, have gone through some re- iterations that uh, I've been able to see, not in real time, but uh, <laughs> across the span of time. Um, I'm I'm curious what, not on like the micro, like the individual matches you changed, but more so like why did you kind of change the it was wholesale changes. <laughs> it was like half the list changed. Um, why do you make so many changes um, between the list I saw maybe a year ago and the list right. I saw um, today? Yeah. I, I've, I've went back and forth on this. Um, I mean, 10 matches is tough. Um, I, I think at this point in time, like we just talked about it, I mean, COVID being two years ago, that seems crazy. But just when I think about like, my uh wrestling fandom as a whole and now that i'm uh in my mid-30s and i've been watching fairly consistently since i was four years old and five years old as a young kid so i'm 30 plus years of watching um and uh i wanted to get a good assortment of different styles of different kind of fandom points uh, throughout my wrestling fandom history. And I also really wanted to get most of my favorite wrestlers at least represented once. Um, we can go through it. There's still some wrestlers that are cut. I mean, I can just say, like, for me, there's three. When when I did the different iterations, uh, from the first iteration I had to the second iteration, uh two wrestlers that I really wanted to be included ended up getting cut. That was Stan Hansen and Aja Kong. Um, so, you know, nice knowing you for both of them. That, that, I mean, that sucks, but that was just a casualty of uh, changing of the list. And then uh, the other wrestler that I just could never find 
a spot for that I wanted to include would be Jushin Liger. Um, but yeah, I mean, ten, 10 matches, it's just very tough. But I, I really wanted to have a lot of styles represented. I wanted to kind of tell a story uh, with my Desert Island comp, but I also wanted it to be sustainable where I do feel like with my 10 matches that I have uh, selected and my three angles slash promos, um, you know, it, it's something I could pop on at any time and be entertained um, and enjoy and find different wrinkles. So uh, that was important for me as well. That makes sense. Um, there is one match that uh, I was bummed did not make the final list because um, originally I sent over a match that was more of a comedy match um, that yes. doesn't make the final cut here. I did want to bring it up just because it was one of the more interesting matches uh, that we don't, we're not going to go dive deep on, but uh, let me pull it up. So you did have uh, Sanshiro Takagi versus Minoru Suzuki. Uh, I believe it was their uh, Tokyo Dome empty <laughs> yeah. uh, arena the match arena. they had. Yeah. Uh, what made you scrap that one? What That seemed like a real interesting one that you had kind of thrown out there uh, that doesn't really fit the bills like a greatest match of all time sort of situation, but looked pretty interesting amongst the uh, the matches you laid out. Yeah, when we first started conversing about this, I uh, wanted a comedy match represented. Uh, that was one that was still, again, like fairly recent. I was watching it, uh, you know, just every couple months generally. Um, I was talking uh, a lot more frequently at that time with the guys that did the Burning Spirits uh, podcast on the voices of wrestling feed at that time. And I know they really championed that match and we were kind of go back and forth. So that felt like a great representation of the comedy match. Um, I will say like it, the, just by happenstance, the day we're recording this kind of my mood and what's going on right now. Um, if you notice, I did trade out that match essentially for a very serious shoot style match. So that kind of shows like, <laughs> my personality shift at this moment where I went from a very goofy match to a uh, very serious wrestling. Um, yeah. A different type so. of breakup. Um, yeah. Style, a different type of stylistic change you did there. Definitely. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was a bummer to get that. Um, I, I, I do think a nice comedy match would be fun. Even, I mean, there's there's another match I'll just briefly mention that I changed too was Clash 17 because I wanted like a very traditional Southern tag and uh, the Road Steamboat versus Anderson Sabisco tag match I think is a great classic Southern tag formula and also has some comedic elements. So um, I, I would say like the list I have today that I'm going to talk about is definitely kind of more serious than the list i've had before in different iterations so yeah i don't know maybe may be a mistake but you know this hey, this is my there's, list there's I'm no mistakes the with these lists <laughs> right they're all it's all features no bugs right um let's get started then let's start right. top of the order here match number one from roh's round robin challenge in 2002 is low-key versus the american dragon brian danielson 
why did this match make your desert island comp? Um, so I also a uh, couple things here. One, at the beginning, I wanted to try to pick matches that other people hadn't picked uh, through this series too. I realized that was just handcuffing me too much. So I haven't kept up with that. So there may be some other crossover from other Desert Island comps. But uh, a match I kept kind of putting in, because I definitely wanted an indie independent match represented. Um, in 2001, when WCW died, I was kind of in the wilderness as a fan. Um, it was a weird time. Uh, a couple of breakthroughs happened because I had kind of, it was, it was an interesting time. I was 15 years old, uh, at school, all of a sudden, like wrestling was uncool again, which is something I, uh, had to live with when I was a little kid. And then you had the attitude era where everybody was talking about wrestling and everybody was, you know, watching wrestling and it was a cool thing to do. But now as it was, uh, uh, yeah, I was 15, I was about to get my driver's license, etc. All of a sudden, wrestling was very uncool again, very quickly. Um, so as far as WWE Elf was concerned, after WCW died, I, I pretty much turned it off uh, with the invasion. And and for years after that, I was kind of halfway paying attention. So I needed something to consume me. Uh, at this point in time, I, there was two big discoveries. One, I uh, found crazymax.org. And started uh, dabbling in Puro. Um, I was lucky enough. Uh, have you ever heard of Scott Mailman, Sam? I can't say I have. Okay. He was one of the, like, premier uh, tape, tape dealers <laughs> back in the day. Um, and I can tell you, as a 15-year-old, sending my money to Scott Mailman, uh, which was the most, like... Phony sounding name. Yeah, I was very nervous, but I, you know, (laughs) I I, I sent it over. uh, Probably, I don't even know at that time, maybe I think $15 for VHS tapes. That sounds about right. Uh, Sent it over, did like a three tape order, got a New Year's Giant Series 99, 97, etc. Got a little All Japan Super J Cup. Uh, Got an All Japan and New Japan sampling and got hooked by that. Uh, funny enough story, sent a second order over to Scott Mailman. He completely, like, fell off the face of the earth and ripped everybody off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. trusted in the yeah. the gods that this money would go to the right place and I would see something return, and I did. And then yeah. I did it again, and I did not. Um, yeah, got perfect. completely screwed. So that was a, that was a whole thing. The whole Scott Mailman saga was my first, uh, I guess, a big message board dispute of the day um, that I discovered. Uh, but the other kind of the duality of that with finding uh, Puro was also um, finding DeathValleyDriver.com. And on DeathValleyDriver.com, I remember the first time I saw the DVD VR 500, and I was looking at the list of names, and, you know, I assumed there would be a list of, you know, your your Japanese stars and stuff like that, because I was familiar with that just from the PWIs that I would get. You know, like with the PWI 500s back in the day, they would sound smart and have, like, Masawa number two behind D. Malenko in 1997 or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I remember seeing this guy named Loki, 
I think he was like number seven or number eight. And I was just like, who in the fuck is low key? Like that sounds like that sounds American, but I have no idea who this guy is. And around the same time, uh, Wes Hatch was releasing his uh, West Side East Coast Connection comps which were compilations, eight-hour-long tapes of all the uh, most hyped indie matches uh, that were going on around this, the States at the time on the East Coast. So I got uh, the first three volumes of that. He only had released the first three volumes and was just hooked. Um, it had, like, the Super 8 final between Danielson and Loki. Um, had the uh, the ECWA match with Ricky Steamboat as the referee from July. Had some Briscoes. Had uh, the Max Modes versus um, Brian Excel and Divine Storm uh, tag from CCW first take. So uh, just some still like classic matches that hold up. Uh, the Briscoes match from Best of the Best. That's another like seminal match. Um, so through that, I was very ingrained into indie wrestling as well. Now, the reason I picked this match, I've always loved this match. I'm not even sure if I think this is their best match together at this point in time. I think I might actually give the nod to their JAPW match from June of 2002. Um, I know that's kind of a snarky choice, but I think this match more than anything else and why it's on my desert island comp is i think this is the culmination of where now you know 20 years in retrospect and i'm actually watching 2001 all footage currently i can see the progression of this is where indie wrestling kind of was culminating and building up to because the late 90s um indie wrestling to me in the u.s is, is really rough it's it's a really you know like suicide kid and like cheetah master and reckless youth you know these are your like your power workers of the era and even in 2001 where i'm at you still look at some of these like japw cards and you got crazy ivan all over them rocking rebel they're still having to use his license so he's all over them spouting just racist disgusting stuff on ccw shows uh iwa mid-south is littered with like uncle honky and richard x and rugby thug uh, trent baker is your heavyweight champion so i mean we're still not to the point where it's like, oh, these indie shows are top to bottom, just great shows. And even in the early uh, iterations of Ring of Honor, now that you look back at them, they weren't great shows top to bottom either. You still had, you know, your Christopher Street connection to Hit Squad entering the bus to hype up the New York fans, like some some pretty shoddy stuff in some of the uh, early Ring of Honor shows, but. To me, this match represents, okay, this is, uh, you know, like, to me, a five-star match. It's also a match that has a feud that you can see clearly progression from match to match. So it's not just like a super indie-type match either. And it, it, to me, represents the first kind of true-blown match of the year candidate that you could represent worldwide from the U.S. independent scene from this era. That's a very thorough examination of why this made the the list. Um, yeah. yeah, I think 
one of the trends that we're going to see on your list is that I'm going to probably ask you a few times of why did this specific version of this match yeah. make your list? And that's going to not just be – that's going to come in a variety of different forms, we'll say. Yes. yes. Um, uh, but I think that's going to be interesting. It's like, oh, what do – even if they're not your favorites of the thing, there's a reason why these matches are the ones you're picking. Um yeah, which is very. I mean, we'll go through it. Like it I, I, at the end of this pod, it may sound like I hate my list because you're gonna hear like, "Oh, this isn't my actual favorite match," or you know, like my like I don't think what I would say is probably like the. I mean, I know like what I would say is the two best matches of all time. Neither one's on my list. So Perfect. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want the best match you've ever seen to be the one on your list. Cause you know, you don't want to be reminded of this every day of the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> I guess <laughs> exactly. You just kind of dream of better days. Uh, yeah. there you go. Let's move on to match number two. Um, from July 18th, 1987 is he Santo versus Negro Casas. Why did this match make your desert on comp? So this is another one, like a classic feud. You have a lot of options. Um, I played around with like their 97 anniversario match. Um, also played around with the triangle match involving Hell Dandy from uh, December 96. Uh, I landed on this one. Kind of, it's kind of more simpler. I, I just think this is a great example of a face versus heel structure or rudo versus technico structure uh in its purest form um, this is a match that actually happened in los angeles uh you can see like santo he comes out and gets the complete like hero's entrance where they're carrying him on their, uh santo's carried on people's shoulders um and it's a match that doesn't um you know, it kind of it doesn't reinvent the wheel, I would say. Like, the exchanges are all crisp, and there's some kind of state-of-the-art uh, action for 1987. But it's it's not something where it's like, oh, this is a brand-new style or whatever. It, it, it doesn't feel house show, but it doesn't feel like it's a reinvention either. It, it just feels like this is a classic match that these two have, uh, that two wrestlers that absolutely know their roles, uh, know how to play to the crowd. Um, it kind of hits me just like a great jazz album. You know, it's, it's one of those kind of arbitrary things where uh, with this type of match, it's, it's like I don't know if I can put my finger on why it's so great, but it just is. It just works. Um, and this is my Lucha representation on my Desert Island comp, which again, even beyond the Santo and Costas pairing themselves, that is tough because that leaves uh, a lot of like a quest of matches like uh, Volano three versus Blue Panther uh, on the on the cutting room floor. I'm sorry, Volano three versus Atlantis on the cutting room floor. Uh, MS Uno versus. Sangre Chicana, uh, just a lot of great Lucha Brawls or Puestas matches I uh, didn't select in lieu of this one. But um, I, I just think this is such a like pure, amazing match. Yeah, I was about to say, this is spoilers, this will be your sole Lucha match on the list. Yeah. And despite it not being, I mean, distinctly Lucha in the sense that 
Um, it's not a boisterous match. It's not a kind of um, a famous trios match. It is not um, anything like that. It still feels distinctly Lucha in the sense that when you say um, a great jazz album, um, that's what I think of kind of when I think of great luchas that there's not always as distinct a structure in that sense compared right. to some other styles um, where the vibes and flow are much more of the moment in a sense. And it's kind of just feeding off one another in that, that way, not feeding off of each other's energy, but just feeding off their kind of body movements essentially at that point. Um, and these are kind of two of the best to just be like, being good, being evil, and that just being the entire kind of the only sort of additional structure that these types of matches can sometimes provide, um, that they'll just let the flow take them where that leads. Yeah, I, I actually feel like, too, uh, just in our circle, the discourse around Santo, um, to me, he's someone that in some, some weird way has now become like underrated and underheralded in his discussion um, and should be examined more, even from a sense of like, if you take a modern comparison, if you're someone that's deeply ingrained in uh, like the, the NJB PW uh, era of the past decade and still resonates with someone like, Oh, uh, Kazuchiko Kata's the ace, you know, of the promotion. I think someone like Santo is is a great person to examine for a contrast or a comparison point of an ace in that same kind of mold in a different style and a stylization. Because um, you can see like the way he reacts and, uh, you know, like some of my favorite Okada performances is when he leaned heel like versus Tanahashi. And the uh, King of Pro Wrestling October 2013 match. Um, and you, you can see wrinkles of that when Santo obviously turned Rudo at the end of 96. And it, he's just someone that I think like people just say like, oh, he's great. But I know we're a long way away um, from greatest wrestler ever. But there's still uh, some discussion that's starting to bubble up and come in. And I, I think Santo is someone that, is really interesting to examine. And I'll say, like I said, I'm going through 2001 currently. Um, I mean, Santo's my number two wrestler of the year pretty easily. Like I think Austin and Santo are easily head and shoulders above anyone else. And um, he, he just kind of built those years uh, that you wouldn't even think about. Like in, if you'd have told me before that year, like uh, 2001 Santo, what did he have? I'd say like, oh, he had the great La Parca bloodbath. But besides that, I'd be like, I don't know. But then I'm watching him have uh, excellent matches with Dr. Cerebro with Shocker. Um, you know, he's he's going back into CMLL and tagging with Negro Casas. It's, uh, he, he, he's really someone that I'm giving some very serious thought to you know when i do do my uh next gwe revision he, he might land in like the top five spot like he's making a leap for sure yeah it feels like we need to go back to the footage that is coming out or that hasn't really been sifted through as hard as a kind of community uh 
because it kind of just landed as yeah, like Santo is one of the top three. Santo is one of the top three lucha wrestlers of all time. Move on, uh, right. without like contextualizing that within the entirety of professional wrestling, and just like okay, uh, maybe we should actually do the work to figure out where does he actually rank amongst the all-time greats of all of them and not put a cap uh, on him being a lucha wrestler. So it'll be interesting uh, in the coming years. Um, is that still four years away at this point? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, scary. plenty of time to take your time and enjoy the yeah, ride. I'll, pr- I'll probably I'll probably quit the internet at least two or three times. Exactly. From now to then. So. Might as well. <laughs> uh, moving on. We have match number three. This is from Russell War 92. It is War Games, Sting Squadron versus Dangerous Alliance. Why did this match make your desert comp? Oh, this one's tough. So, it, you know, like gun to my head, if you said, like, what's your favorite wrestling? Like at this day and time, I would say all Japan 90s. And I'd say like Jim Crockett promotions, mm, 84, 87-ish. Um, and so of course I have this match from 92 as my kind of representation of the JCP portion of that era. Um, I went with this one kind of over, uh, some other matches for a couple reasons. One, I just thought this gave me a lot of guys that I could watch that I love. Like this gives me Bobby Eaton. This gives me Arn Anderson. Uh, this gives me Barry Wyndham. Um, it gives me staying rude. Uh, there's, there's so many cool characters, uh, in this match. Now, is this the best iteration of all these individuals? Uh, no, you know, not, not necessarily, but I think it, it gives me enough, enough of them that, you know, I, I can accept that and be happy with the version I do get of each of them. Uh, and also, I mean, I think War Games is a great concept and is a concept that I keep repeatedly. Again, I don't want to be kind of old man yelling at clouds, but every time I watch a WWE current day uh, version of War Games, it, it's the one match that really feels like to me, it's like, no, this is this is not my War Games. You know, <laughs> every time I watch it now, I'm like, man, what has happened? Um, and I just get aggravated and disgruntled and whatnot, and it turns me off. So, so I definitely wanted to go back and look at a concept that I do enjoy uh, from an era I obviously enjoy. I do think this is a fitting blow-off to the feud. I think this is a feud that is remembered fondly. Um, it's actually a feud I think if you watch it week to week does have more holes in it than you might think on the surface just because uh, it's it's a weird like WCW's taping structure just does it no favors where you know between worldwide pro power hour their international syndication 605 they had so many shows they have so many uh, matches between the Dangerous Alliance and members of the Sting Squadron over the previous six months leading up to this, um, that in a vacuum, if you just watch them, they're all good matches, but a lot of times they don't make sense. There's no like continuity. It's, it can be very frustrating. 
Um, but I was happy with this blow off. I kind of defend the finish. I, uh, Larry Sabisco apologist, I guess. So I, I kind of like, he's kind of the focal point for the finish. Um, the one critique I can see, and I do buy for the war games in the JCP era and the best war games of WCW is once you get to the match beyond portion, some of the finishes can feel very anti-comatic. And even in this match, I would say probably the, the it, it this match probably peaks with Sting climbing the cage to chase after Medusa. Um, but uh, but otherwise, I mean, I just think this is one of the best. Uh, I mean, once once JCP becomes WCW fully, and they start using that name from December '88 on. But definitely from 1990 on, I don't think there's that many like five star classic WCW proper matches, um, and this is one of them. And it gives me a lot of great guys, and it feels kind of southern in the way it's worked. So overall, that's why I selected it. Apologies, I may have missed it. Um, I know you said this is maybe not the best iteration of all of the components of this match, but do you feel this is the best Wargames match? Um, I, so I go back and forth between this one and the first one. Uh, I, I, was, I, I think I'm right now I would lean this one as my favorite, but I think this one and the one from July 4th, 87 and the Omni are very close. That's fair. I was, I have pure curiosity since we're going to kind of do that exercise. I think a, uh, a few more times, but, uh, just curious. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of great wrestlers in this one. So that's really Interesting. I think we're gonna have another match where you get a few more bodies in there to mm-hmm. keep you occupied here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm always a big fan. Whenever I do these episodes, when people put on kind of more, a multi-man match because one, the match rules, and then two, um, it gives you a lot of different wrestlers to um, sink your teeth into uh, on the list. So yeah, great addition here with uh, War Games Night Two. Moving on to match number four. It is from WS Over the Edge 98. It is Dude Love versus Steve Austin. Yeah. So this this is uh, obviously like my Attitude Air representative. Um, this is a match. And again, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to like be a zealot for some of these matches and say like, you know, people should take more notice, but you know, I think in our circle, like, again, you MAGA versus John Cena from Royal Rumble 2007, even uh, like Eddie Guerrero versus JBL uh, from 2004. Like, those matches have kind of become um, those WWE brawls that people elevate to a certain era. Um, I'll say, like, when we did the Place to Be Nation greatest. Uh, WWF WWE match listing um, a couple years ago now. I think it was 2019. This match finished number three for me in the history of the promotion. And it's a match I keep going back to. And when I keep watching it, I keep liking it a little bit more, a little bit more. And it eventually became one of those types of matches where it's like, oh, well, when it happened, it was great. But I thought everything in the attitude era was great. You know, like I thought uh, Austin versus Undertaker from 
SummerSlam 98, Highway to Hell. That was a great match when I watched it. And then you go back and you're like, oh, this is a, you know, this is a mess. This has got a lot of problems uh, when you watch it critically in retrospect. This doesn't happen with this match. Like, to me, this match is uh, where every piece of overbooking works. It's, to me, it has all the, the, the rare good components of a Russo booked match. And it combines them with sprinkles of Pat Patterson match design, and it makes a great combination. I think uh, like something like Survivor Series '98 is held up as like, oh, you know, this is a great night of booking. It's a great booked pay per view, but when you look at it in ring wise, it doesn't. You know, there's nothing there. Like that takes a back seat to the booking. I think this is a match where the action, the brawl that uh, Austin and Foley have does still live up as a great brawl on its own. And then when you get to the booking, <clears throat> it's just amazing. I mean, I, you know, this, this is kind of a cheat code, but I would fall, uh, throw in the opening pay-per-view package. Cause it starts there with the uh, Mr. McMahon's utopia or whatever. Um, but then you get like the, I mean, when it starts with Vince's promo uh, backstage and he is just jacked completely to the gills and so pompous and, you know, foreshadows and says, you know, by his hand only. Um, and and you, the way he emphasizes that line, like, you know, that's going to come into play later. You just don't know how. Uh, then you get the great introductions by Pat Patterson, which are classic. Uh, the brawl itself, I uh, again, I really enjoy. Um, it's it's stiff. Like Foley takes a sick bump over the railing before that was so cliched. Um, they utilized the pay per view set with all these like demolition style cars that they take some nice bumps over. Um, and then you get the finish, which I think is a very clever finish and a, a great workaround where Undertaker's the enforcer. Gives the choke slam to both Patterson and Briscoe. Uh, Foley ex- accidentally uh, kills Vince with a chair shot. That's just absolutely crippling now to watch, but as a, a, a insanely vicious chair shot. And then uh, Austin's able to uh, use Vince's unconscious hand to count the pinfall. Um, so I, I just I, this is a match that just to me en- encapsulates this era of wrestling. And there's definitely a lot of bad from that era when you go back and look at it with a critical eye. But this match to me holds up in spades. Would this be the kind of pinnacle of that style? I think so, because I think it takes, I mean, I think like, again, if you think of the Attitude Era style and you said like, you know, I said I had this match number three. Well, my number one match was Austin versus Brett from WrestleMania 13, right? Yeah. And and I think that's your consensus, like, best match of that. But And that obviously has, like, an amazing booking as well. But just for the style they were looking for, for the narrative they were going for, and that we are building Austin at this point to be you know, this amazing, you know, the biggest, biggest wrestling star in the world. They were gaining momentum. This is right at the peak where them and 
WCW are, you know, they're trading back and forth. Like they're in a, they're in a legit knockdown drag out war at this point in time. Um, so for them to have this home run of a match, I do think this is kind of the pinnacle where you can look back at this point and say, I mean, WCW kind of made their own mistakes, obviously with Goldberg, like they had opportunities, but, but this is an easy like match to point to and say like, Oh, well, here's where WWF did everything right. So to speak and compare that to where WCW did some stuff and then followed it up and did everything wrong. And you have what you have. Good example of the star making machine. Yeah, for sure. Being put to work. Um, all right. Love it. Uh, we are moving on to match number five. As we discussed earlier, this is going to be a little bit different than your previous <laughs> number five on your list. Yeah. Um, this is from January 22nd, 1997 from the Budokan Hall. Uh, taking place in rings. It is Kagoshi Tamara versus Vulcan. Why did this match make your desert and cop? I, I, I found this one to be a little similar to Santo versus Casas earlier. I, I just feel like this is a great, uh, I want a shoot style match represented as I mentioned earlier. And I, I, I think like Tamura versus Kosaka or even, uh, Takata versus Vader there, there's, or to go way back and you could do some Fujiwara, uh, versus Super Tiger or something like that. Um, but I landed on this one just because I think this match really represents a great duality of the amazing athleticism of Kiyoshi Tamura versus the just technical tenacity of Volkan. Um, and you can see that contrast throughout this match. It's a great kind of cat and mouse type match but is one where they're stuck together, oddly enough, but just with the escapes and the way that Tamura moves through uh, his transitions into offense, <clears throat> again, using more like athletic and flexibility from an athletic standpoint compared to Han, where you can see that, <clears throat> you know, he's just, he's a, he's a complete like badass grinder that, you know, knows what he needs to do, knows what he needs to, uh, execute to win. Um, and that back and forth, uh, creates a great match that, uh, again, this is another one that gets better and better every time I watch it. I, I don't think I watched this one for the first time, um, until I watched the 97 yearbook. Um, again, thought it was great, uh, you know, but, wouldn't have put it in the tip top kind of match of the year candidate discussion. Um, and 97 is a completely loaded year. Like I said, there's, there's Austin versus Brett. And then, uh, two days before this, there's Masawa versus Kobashi from 120 97, which is one of those two matches I think is one of the best of all time. That's not on this list. So, so this match would probably be number three, uh, on my match of the year listing, but, um, I, I think it's a great uh, representation of when shoot styles at its best. Um, it's it's not just guys like rolling around on the mat for no rhyme or reason. Like there's a story being told here, and you see different strategies being presented as well. Do you think this is the best shoot style match of all time? Mm. Up there, but not the one. Yeah, up there, but maybe not the one. 
I might go Super Tiger versus Fujiwara at the December 5th, I think, 84. Or uh, the Yamamoto versus Tamura match, the 30-minute draw from 99. I need to rewatch that. But those are some other heavy, heavy contenders. I went through the recent um, greatest match ever poll that takes place from about... 10 to 15 individuals every single year where they do some new iterations. A lot of the folks are from the pro wrestling only board that have kind of migrated a little bit to kind of do this little pro do this project. Um, right. This is the highest ranked of your matches on that list at placing at number 19, which I found quite interesting um, just because I would not have expected this among these matches to kind of rank so highly. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess now that I look at my remaining list, I know, uh, again, one of the matches I took off is easily the number one match on that poll every year, <laughs> wins it very handily. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, I get, I do think of the, uh, it, it, this does seem to be like a match more people are kind of, uh, representing as like, oh, you know, if I'm on, push one shoot style match to the moon this this does seem to be one that people land on where i think maybe 10 years ago i, I would think it would have been takata versus vader which i still think is an amazing match too the the uh 8 1894 match i mean i think that's an awesome match as well but yeah I, I i just think this is a better representation of the style as a whole yeah sometimes the best representation of the style also not the best match of a style right uh, moving on, crossing the halfway point here, uh, as far as matches go, uh, number six from July 17th, 2011, uh, WWE's Money in the Bank is the main event, John Cena versus CM Punk. Uh, why did this match make your Desert comp? So spoiler, this is the most recent match I have, which kind of maybe shows where I'm at. <laughs> I mean, I have liked wrestling in the past decade, but. Um, this is probably the very last time, I don't know, it's tough to say, but since then, my wrestling fandom has been more about, like, finding community, you know, gaining friendships, talking more, uh, you, you know, where even yourself, Sam, you know, you were concrete 1992 for so, much, so long, just kind of as a faceless entity on a message board. And now it's like, okay, you know, kind of the person behind that. Uh, it's not been as much about like, oh, these, these wrestling matches are really, you know, making me have all the feels and that's what I'm into. Um, th this was a match that had that opportunity. Uh, interesting bit about this match is this match, July 17th, is my younger brother's 21st birthday. So I did not get to watch this match live because we were out at the bar. I'm still disgruntled I was about, about that. Used to resent him slightly for it. Definitely. Um, it's like that always happens to me. Like uh, growing up in high school, my favorite band was Pearl Jam, and uh, the only time they came to Atlanta was in April of 2003, which was the day of my prom. So it was. What do you uh, do? A tough. A tough decision, but uh, 
me uh, being uh, developed in a very serious uh, relationship with a young lass at that time. I uh, had to do what was right and went to uh, my prom instead of seeing Pearl Jam. But this, this is another one that it's like, wow, you know. Yeah, but, he's uh, just my brother. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, just my brother. It's 21st birthday, whatever. But no, so um, I did get to watch the match. Uh, I... I uh, I'm wondering, I'm trying to remember if this would have been too early for uh, the uh, dark website that's more well-known or if I would have found this through another means. But through other means, I did watch this match, I'll say that. And um, like I said, I mean, I I thought this was going to be the start of something big. I I think a lot of people did. Uh, I definitely wanted Cena on my Desert Island comp. I think he has a lot of great matches, uh, either with Lesnar or with JBL from Judgment Day 2005 or Rumaga that I mentioned previously. Um, and I think having Punk on my list is an interesting per, uh, person too, uh, just because when I think about, like again, my fandom as a whole, I don't know if it was... A thing or just like the message boards uh, at that time but I always felt like with punk it kind of felt like you either had to be a punk guy or Chris Hero guy there for a while um, from like 2002 through when he really signed with WWE and I was always a hero guy like I'm still a hero guy over punk I think Hero's a better wrestler has a better career than punk um, but I can't deny that like Punk obviously has had higher peaks just from a connection standpoint or a a stardom standpoint. And I mean, this, this is another match where like for all its faults uh, to be in a big arena and to see someone that was like an indie star that, you know, a decade earlier you were watching come out. Uh, to wrestle at Retro Night 2002 for IWA Mid-South with like 32 people in the crowd. Um, it, 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 you, you somehow got a sense of like pride, even though, you know, like he didn't, he obviously doesn't know who I am from Adam, but I, I got a sense of pride watching him in this match. And I was like, oh, this is our guy that's going to be the next superstar. Um, and, you know, I mean, that didn't. Or crossover mainstream star at that point. I mean, that didn't happen. But um, yeah, you can kind of this. This is a this is a match I keep on my list uh, on my comp is kind of if I'm stuck on a desert island. This is a match that may give me hope. You know, this is like your glimmer of hope <laughs> match that that uh, there there may be there may be a rainbow, you know, or a light at the end of this tunnel. So that's that's why I put it on there. Uh, yeah, friend of the show. Um... Simon, uh, he always one of his things he's said in his blog handwork review um, is that kind of the the series finale of wrestling was uh, Danielson winning the title at WrestleMania, and this definitely feels like kind of a season finale if if nothing else, um, where you get to get all those good emotions, you get kind of the cliffhanger of what could be next. What could be next is not great, um, but in this moment of this match you don't know that it doesn't feel that way it feels like only possibility is ahead um in a way that few matches 
can make you feel just because of the magnitude of this match, the size of this match versus pretty much any <laughs> uh, other wrestling promotion that's come around in the past um, up till recently with kind of the growth of AEW and possibility getting yeah. something that could feel like that. Uh, they haven't delivered that quite yet, but uh, there's a feeling that's a possibility. They're um, dancing around it. Yeah. 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 I mean, so I was at WrestleMania 30 live. Um, and I, I, I kind of agree with that talking point from Simon. Um, and that was like a great liberating experience to be at live too. Um, the only difference and maybe slight pushback I'd have is I was also at Royal Rumble 2014 live. And I think by that point, even though WrestleMania 30 felt like, oh, okay, we're riding the wrongs of the Rumble, I still just didn't have the trust. <laughs> that this, this is like, oh, there, this was just kind of a, a blip. Um, yeah, this was like, not. This was a facade. Right, the other shoe's gonna drop at some point. Because <laughs> um, I mean that that too that. 2014 Royal Rumble, that was the second trip where I met uh, the Place to Be Nation guys. And that was really where it became a realization for me. Because the first trip we did was WrestleMania 29, which was, you know, a blast. But the actual show is not great, to be generous. Um, And then this Royal Rumble 2014 was even more where it was like, well, we're going to these shows, but... It's more about we're going to see our friends. Like, I wasn't jazzed to go see Royal Rumble 2014. It was, I get to go see my buddies. Um, so that's when it became like a destination that was about like the, the, it was all about the journey, not necessarily the destination. That was an afterthought. So, um, it was weird. I, I definitely had more hope for the future and kind of my <laughs> fandom in modern. WWE after the Money in the Bank than I did even after WrestleMania 30. Just because I felt like, oh, uh, yeah, some screws don't happen. You're like, we all were too close to the bad thing. Um, <laughs> this company yeah. has not shown that this is not the uh, aberration uh, right. versus the other thing. Right. Uh, all right. Well, there we go. That's match number six. Moving on to match number seven from Kyle Olympic 2005, um, April 29th from the gymnasium in Kawasaki, Japan, is Michael Sadamara versus Akira Okada. Uh, why did this match make your Desert Island Comp? 2001, I think. Why did I say 2005? No idea. Okay. No idea. Okay, well, I want to make sure. <laughs> April 29th, 2001. Okay, uh, so this is a match I never saw till last year. Um, and I watched it and I wondered why have I never seen this? And, uh, I, I put this match on there. This is my Joshi representative. Uh, the first listing you got, you had another Gaia match from, uh, Gaia. I don't, how do you, I mean, what, I don't think don't I've ever me. pronounced I that. Okay. Mis- yeah. I'm going to mispronounce every single name on this yeah. list. Gaia, Gaia. Yeah. I mean, even Joshi, I remember from the early, it's like Joshi, you know, so I'm not going, you know, whatever. Uh, but I had a Haja Khan versus Karu, uh, from February 13th, 2000 match. And both of these matches kind of are on my list for similar reasons. It's to show that like 
there's still matches out there that can blow me away. Like every time I think like, oh, you know, I, I've probably seen most of the matches I would put as the greatest matches of all time, like in that top 100 of the greatest matches ever poll. Like I, I think I've seen so many cause you know, I'm 30 years in, I've watched all this. I get, I get very like puffed up and confident myself. And then you watch this match, which I mean, had hype at the time and has some, some, some praise from anybody that watches it. But I mean, this is a match that just completely blew me away. I think watching the feud leading up to it is very imperative where Satamora was starting to gain a lot of momentum and kind of defeated Dynamite Kanzai earlier in the year. And she was kind of like the gatekeeper to get to Akira Hokuto. Um, so, so that was just like a neat dynamic. Uh, but then they deliver this like deeply emotional match that just struck an insane emotional chord with me uh, when I watched it last year. And it was a match that just enveloped my thoughts for days on end. Um, and it was one I went back to and watched and I was like, yeah, this, this still, still resonates with me. Um, and uh, it's one I would, I would recommend watching. I don't, I don't know if it would hit everybody as great as it hit me, but I mean, it was awesome. And Satamora, I do think is like a top five worker of 2001. She's, obviously gotten like praise as being one of the greatest workers of all time, you know, and again, as greatest wrestler ever in the next four years, I think she's someone that's worthy of an examination as well as well as Okudo. I mean, I think with Okudo, of course, like there's the old narrative that I think we've put away that like 93 is our only good year or great year or elite year, I guess. Um, I mean, that's certainly not true. She is someone I think can be, a uh, little inconsistent. Like after this match, she kind of disappears for six months. So, you know, I mean, that's well deserved after this amazing match. But when you think about like 2001 as a whole, it's, it's a little tough to gauge. Um, but uh, this, this match is just amazing as, has an ending that I think could be, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but I think the ending could be one that could uh, be an interesting ending for debate purposes. I can see other sides. I personally love it, but I, I could see an articulated argument uh, against it as well. So, I mean, I like matches like that where you could see like a like a Masala versus Kawada from 6-3-94. Like, who should have won? I mean, I, I still think as trite of an argument that can be at times, I do think that's an interesting match to have that argument on, uh, where I do see both sides of the coin, and to me that just enriches the match overall. Um, so, yeah, this, this is my Joshi representative, but it's also a representative that, you know, I'm on a desert island. I'm stuck with these 10 matches forever, right? But... You know, if for some reason, again, that this and the match before give me that glimmer of hope that if I can get out, you know, keep keep searching for that next match that blows you away. Because every time I think I've I've, you know, exhausted all that and there won't be another one, there is always a match that comes and does it. Yeah, the last match was wrestling can be good, can be better. Uh, this is the match like, oh, there are still matches for you to discover. Um, to right. Still knock your doors off. Uh, so that's great. 
I love that kind of ethos for this one. Uh, I don't have a lot of comments on this one as much as some of the others. Um, it does not sound like it's going to be your top Joshi match of all time, but I do like kind of the, the sentiment around it. Um, so as of right now, this one actually is. Um, Ooh, come on. The one time I just bl- <laughs> breeze by it. Just like, ah, this ain't it. Um, so is here, it? here's, yeah. So here's a nerdy, this will get very nerdy in the weeds. So I've went to a 10 point, uh, uh rating scale. Uh, oh, good. Cause I've been going through PWO and Steven Graham moving towards mm-hmm. a 10 point mm-hmm. must system. here. Yeah. I should have copyrighted that. Yeah. You me and me and Charles have been working on that since like 2017. So oh, you good. take you, credit you, first. You have PowerPoint presentation, the two of you. Yeah, I, I, I have the spreadsheet receipts that can show this. So all my spreadsheets Melter since sucks then, I've been in on that. Exactly, yep. exactly. Um, but uh, in that scale, it's, it's you know, won't won't bore you. But basically, if it's a five-star match, what I would say is a five-star match, on the 10-point scale, it's either going to be a 9.8, a 9.9, or a 10 on the rating system. Uh, I have currently... 11 matches that are tens. Um, this is one of them. This is, this one, is of them. one of them. Of this desert island comp, this is the only one. <laughs> this is the only one of the elite of the elite. Yes, um, that I rated a 10. Yeah. So. Oof. Oh, I lied. Nope. The next one we're That's talking my... about is also Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Uh, uh, there's two, <laughs> but yeah, so there's only, there's, there's very few, and this is one I went on, and that's why I did want to rewatch it, because I was like, man, like, eh, is this, because sometimes that can happen too, where you, you watch something and not, you're like, all right, like, this is still really great, but let's pump the brakes, like, you know, let's, let's get it in check, but, and I mean, every time I've watched this match, I've been like, okay, because I, I kept thinking, like, probably Dream Slam, you know, Hakuto versus Kendori would more than likely be my top Joshi match. Um, but now, yeah, as of now, it's this one. So, But, I mean, Joshi in the 2000s is completely untapped. I mean, I and I don't know if we'll get anything remotely close to this, but, I mean, I've went through two years, and, you know, I had the Aja Kong match from 2000 that I hadn't heard much about. I ranked that five stars, and then... This one's five stars. So we're two for two in the years I've went through in the 2000 and finding a match that I think's, you know, completely outstanding and a bona fide match of the year candidate. So maybe that'll continue uh, going forward. We shall see. We yeah. shall see. Uh, moving on to match number eight. Another, another 10. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Chai Town Rumble. It's Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat. Uh, why did this match make it Desert Island Comp? Yeah, so this is uh, when we did the Place to Be Nation greatest WCW match ever. This was my number one. Uh, it's one I've changed. I mean, I, again, this is a classic rivalry. I'd always been a Clash 6 guy. Uh, if you dig up some of the old podcasts me and Parv did, you'll hear that I had Clash 6 as my top uh, match between these two, but now I've changed to Chi Town Rumble. Um, maybe that's just patience. I mean, this is a lot tighter match, obviously, but I, I really think the reason, 
and and I grouped these three matches together for a purpose because, uh, like I said, Cena versus Punk is kind of the hope. Satamore versus Hokuto is the discovery. And then to me, Flair versus Steamboat, Chi-Town Rumble is the confirmation uh, that I'm just going to be, in one way or another, a wrestling fan for life. Like, I don't know why this is my thing, why this is my hobby, uh, why, you know, there's a lot of times where with real life or whatever, you, you can kind of reflect and think, my God, like, think of the hours I've spent just doing this and doing these spreadsheets and doing these podcasts. And I mean, it, you know, I've met some friends and that's been great. But what if I was doing something else, you know, quote unquote, more productive or whatever? Like, what could you do? How many languages but, could I have learned? <laughs> like, like how many, uh, how many cures for diseases and yeah, but <laughs> it can, it can get very like philosophical and sanctimonious like that. But then you just think it like with this match, it's just like, no, like I'm a wrestling fan for life. This is what I love. These are, you know, two of the very best having an amazing match. And for all his faults, which he has many, the most famous kind of quote unquote wrestling fan slash journalist is Dave Meltzer. You watch Dave Meltzer in the front row of this match and he is like losing his ever loving mind and it's great to watch. And at that moment, it's like, Oh, was this, you know, because you can read those observers from like 91 around that era where he's kind of at a pivot point on, you know, is this going to be his career or is he going to try to be a sports journalist or whatever? And you wonder if like he thought back to watching these types of matches live. And that's why he decided to be, you know, I'm going to be um, a wrestling fan for life. And I mean, you think about that, like, I, it's 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 just weird to think about that because I don't know. Would we know in America who like Masawa, Kawada, and Kabashi are? Probably, but the symbolism of them, the kind of presentation of them, and all that, and now the style change and everything else you can kind of pinpoint it back to this type of stuff and you can pinpoint it back to really the way flair and steamboat work in general, where this feud in of itself is not like a great commercial success. I mean, they weren't like drawing absolute gangbusters in the promotion at this time. Like, uh, WCW was not looking great <laughs> in a lot of, a lot of ways in 1989. Um, but um, it's it's just it's it's one of those matches where you can just go back to and and I think this match is short enough that it's one of those where you can pop it in if somebody says hey you know like you know you meet random stranger on the street and they say you're a wrestling fan right it's like yeah I'm a wrestling fan why or show me an example of that you can pop this one in. And they can see that where the other matches have kind of been more moment in time or you've needed a connection to the story that was going on or the style uh, in the case of the shoot style match and the Lucha match I selected. This one, I think, is pretty universal. And it's like, oh, this is wrestling's Casablanca. You know, like you can just you can just pop it in. 
may not be, you know, you may not convert a new fan for life, like in my case, but they can see the beauty of it and then they can understand like, oh, okay, I see why he's into this, at least from an artistic standpoint. Yeah, those matches where like, okay, at least you can get it. Um, right. It shows right. what works in professional wrestling at just a very basic level versus some of these other matches where like, okay, dude love versus steve austin might not be the ideal kind of first timer matchup to show why you love the sport of professional wrestling <laughs> right um yeah, sure. it can be great without kind of showing sort of kind of just the rawness of what makes it stick with you right right um but yeah this kind of fits the bill and this is a tenor uh so that's if illustrious company here now knowing the new uh scale <laughs> system uh Back to back here. So you're just going yeah, go to go boom, boom. Um, very different approaches to getting to the, the the top level there. Yeah, and I actually think if I was watching these matches in the order I had them, like, I would say you'd peak with this match. And then the next couple are kind of not necessarily calm downs, but there's a reason for them yeah. too. But yeah. Any other remarks you want to bring about Alpha versus Steamboat here? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get into a flare debate. But no, is he the I'm greatest still, wrestler of all time? What's what's the deal? You know, is that? No, I, I, uh, I'm a Danielson guy now. Dang, I thought you were going to say you're a Hogan guy. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you're, I'm, I'm, you're I'm among a the group now. Guy now. Yeah, yeah, I've. Uh, I've been uh, all these punk ass kids. Uh, all kind these of persuaded. All these youngins just keep on yeah. running their damn mouths. They they got they got Charles on board, lost from PWO. I I mean he he said a couple months ago he told me in our private chats he was like, you know I think if I voted today I'd have Danielson as the number one. And I was like I was just gobsmacked. At, uh, it's like, ah, oh, I think these kids are onto something. Nah, it was it was bad. So yeah. <laughs> but but it can go either way. Like when I watched all the WCW matches a couple of years ago and the JCP stuff, um, because I have been doing like a yearly update around WrestleMania to my GWE, and I think that year I did have Flair number one too. So it, it goes back and forth, but I mean, I, I do, I do still think. I mean, I, I think at this point, it's Flair, Danielson, Masawa, those three. I feel pretty confident locked in that uh, they will be my top three in All some right. iteration. There we go. You heard it here first. Um, well, not really, but okay. <laughs> moving on. Very different match. Match number nine here yes. from, taking place in Orlando, Florida. It is the 1990 Royal Rumble. Why is this match in Descendant Comp? So, um, I'm not sure if... I know the first tape I ever rented was a Royal Rumble, because my mom says that. Um, I don't know if it was the 89 or the 91. And I don't know what the... I mean, you know, when you're four years old, and you think about, like, now I look at my kids, and Of course, they have a lot of like uh, media, a lot more media to consume and stuff, but their interests are so fleeting. Like, 
they're into something all the way. And then a week later, it's like, oh, I, you know, who cares? You know, like, like, uh, easiest example a month ago, it was all about Mr. Beast on YouTube. Like we were watching Mr. Beast night and day. That was all we were doing. Now, no, we're out. We're out on Mr. B's. We're watching Preston Gaming or something. Do per, you know? We, we've done moved on. We've done moved on. So it's very quick. So that's why it's interesting to me. Like, I mean, I, you know, uh, by this point, I didn't have cable, so I did. I had very limited choices. But you know, I, I somehow was attracted to a wrestling tape in the video store. I picked it out. I watched it. Something stuck and. Here we are, you know, 30 years later, I'm talking to you. Um, but this is a match that very recently I've been coming back to because my youngest son, uh, watches, uh, Royal Rumbles. That's the only matches he likes. Sick matches. We watch, we watch the same four Royal Rumbles on like a weekly loop in the mornings. Uh, he does at least pick some good ones. It's the 2018 Men's Royal Rumble, 2008, which is Cena's surprise return at number 30. The 92 Royal Rumble, which is on YouTube, and he can find it. He can navigate to it, so he picks it. And then this one, the 1991. And this is always one that, you know, I, I think gets good hype. Um, but it's seen more as like, oh, this is a great match, and this is where they kind of perfected the template of the Royal Rumble. But the more I've watched this match, which I've watched this match because of him, you know, bits and pieces while I'm reading my email and getting him ready for school and stuff. Like I've watched this match 10, 15 times in the past six months. Um, this, this is one that's really growing on me. And, uh, I wanted to for sure had like a representation of the rock and wrestling era. Um, you know, I was a huge Hulkamaniac as a kid. Um, so, so this to me is a representation of that era. But yeah, it's, I, I think the crowd heat's insane here. Um, I, I think you get all kind of your great characters, like Jake the Snake gets an enormous pop. You still have Andre, like you know, between me and you, we know Andre's done, but they're still presenting him as a physical force. You know that he, he could win it all. Hey, um, yeah, no, yeah, thank you, yeah. night. Never know. Uh, it does give the Warrior Hogan stare down, which in the moment felt like, okay, this is the next great feud to carry WWF into the 90s. Uh, so there's some more like that hope of the promise of the future thing as well with this match. Um, but I just think between the crowd heat, the building, and much how like I wanted to pick War Games as a great gimmick match to JCP. Uh, is presented and it's kind of stood the test of time. I also wanted to have a Royal Rumble represented there too, which, you know, in retrospect, we did watch the 2022 Royal Rumble and seeing how boring and just disconnected I was with that in retrospect made me more endeared to this match even more. Cause it's <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I mean, this was, there wasn't a whole lot of stakes here. Um, and it's still just, it delivers. Yeah. It was a, curious that you had um, selected the 1990 Royal Rumble versus some of the other the other ones um, yeah. but it definitely seems like now they've kind of laid it out I can definitely appreciate why why this one or we're say even the 92 one uh, 
might make your comp. Yeah, I mean, I think 92 one. So originally in my first list, I had 92 because that was my only player match. Um, and I do think 92 is probably the best Royal Rumble still. But um, that match is about flair. You know, like it's it's flair and Hogan's in it, but I mean Hogan's a complete jerk in it. Like he's he's a he's a heel. So I thought about like in my childhood, um, I, I I was huge into Hogan. I always cheered Hogan, um, and at least in this match in the '90 Royal Rumble, he acts like a baby face. So he he plays his role correctly. So. No, he doesn't doesn't fuck said you know i get yeah. it i get it <laughs> not 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 his uh his real life uh, persona <laughs> hh is in uh creeping out like in some other matches um all right last match number nine we are moving to your final match on a destiny comp number 10 from april 20th 1991 all japan akira tare jemo saruda and masanobu Fuji versus Kenta Kobashi, Mr. Misawa, and Toshiaki Kawada. Uh, why did this match make your Desert Island comp? Uh, I mean, I had to have an All Japan match on here. Um, for a while, I thought it'd be six nine ninety five, uh, but I really wanted Jumbo to be representative. So there, for a while, I also had the seven fifteen eighty nine match on there. But then I was like, eh, that's kind of too too close to the same style. So I condensed it. Uh, I do lose Tenru off of my Desert Island. I do lose Hanson, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but in the meantime, I get what I think is the best six-man tag of all time. Um, I, you know, I, I just think this, again, is probably... I still think the pinnacle of uh, style in professional wrestling was the King's Road uh, early 90s up to probably 120.97 is when I think you can start seeing things start to go downhill um, a decent amount. Um, but uh, right now they were rolling. I mean, Masawo had done elevated himself up. I think the important thing about this match is you see between Tawei and Kawada's feud with each other. Now they're elevated up. Kawada feels like a threat versus Jumbo. Uh, Kabashi is still a rung below, but again, gaining momentum. And then Fuchi is just the ultimate henchman. Like, I mean, what a guy. Everybody needs a friend like Fuchi because he is so willing to go in and take any cheap shot in this match. Uh, two of his partners and just uh, seems to be delightful and being as devious as he can be throughout the match. And uh, it's amazing to watch. I will say uh, uh, Joseph Monticello has a video essay of this on a YouTube channel. Great breakdown. 17 minutes. Well worth your time goes into all the intricate details of the match, but um, I mean, simplest thing to me is it's the best six-man tag of all time, in my opinion. Gives me a whole bunch of my top 40 wrestlers of all time in one match and uh, tells a good story. So that's why it landed. Well, I'll be sending an invoice to Joseph for the plug. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm glad you could kind of fit uh, something with Jumbo on as well. Um, 
I like how you kind of approached, okay, I want to get more wrestlers on than maybe, like, the best match from every single wrestler. Um, yeah. I think this was kind I, of an, in, a good choice in that regard. Yeah, Akiyama also gets shafted because... Oh, so where I don't even know where you stand, Sam. I don't even know if you have like a take on it, but like the six nine ninety five versus uh, the Real World Tag League ninety six debate. Where do you land on that? Because do I, I don't know. Want to a fun fact? Yes. Seen neither of them. Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> I'm a real piece of oh, shit. God. Oh Lord! It's uh, one of those cultural osmosis things where I'm just like, ah, if I do this, I need to come away with a take. So if I don't come away with a take. What is it? I say, yeah, the match that people say is one of the greatest matches of all time. It's one of the greatest matches of all time. I don't got that kind of energy in me right now. Yeah, because I I don't know Simon uh, did just review those, and uh, he's a he's a real world tag league '96 guy. Um, and I mean that that's that's one of those matches that I mean I I. I unequivocally think it's like five stars and great but that's one of those like why i do like the 10 point scale because to me that's an easy 9.9 match where i do think 6995 is a 10 and there there's a difference like and i don't know why i'm so possessive and proud of this desert island comp but at the end of the day i was like it feels a little disingenuous to me to have the real world tag league match on it just because I can at least justify, like, oh, this is a six-man tag. I do think it's the best six-man tag of all time, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why I don't have a match I technically think is better with all these guys. But if you're comparing, like, oh, this is a tag match versus this is a tag match, even the finishes are fairly similar in the way they're structured. Um, you've got some kind of common, too many common threads. Um, it, it would just felt a little weird to me to have the real world tag league match on my desert island comp and not six nine ninety five. It makes sense. It makes sense. Well, I'm glad you've kind of took the cop out answer here. Um, cause that's what I got from that. I was like, ah, I could, yeah. didn't want to felt something. Neither. Yeah. yeah didn't either. <laughs> just exactly. like sidestep the question. I appreciate exactly. it. Um, well, all right. Those are the 10 matches. Uh, let's get into the angles. We got three of them. Um, first up, I'm going to be honest with you. It was entirely too difficult for me to understand the the DMs on this one. Um, okay. <laughs> but right now, what I've got written down is a lot. Uh, just tell me the first angle so I don't butcher All right. it. Uh, basically, and this, I mean... <laughs> I think we could cheat here and we could probably get a 10 minute segment of just the Lawler versus Funk feud from Memphis 1981. Um, so I definitely wanted some sort of Memphis re- representation on my comp. Um, I didn't have any Funk either and he was someone that I wanted to include. Um, so, I mean, I think for Memphis, there's a couple of different areas that I could have explored. Like, I love the episode of TV that's Waller versus Flair. Like, I think as a bottle episode of wrestling television, that's just amazing. Um, 
could have done some Gilbert versus Lawler stuff. Could have also done some Dundee versus Lawler stuff, especially their build to the, uh, well, it won't be their second Loser League Town, but the 1985, the 1230 1985 Loser League Town match, the build to that. I think is amazing. Also, even uh, the Idol Rich versus Lawler for you from 87, some stuff there. But I land on this just to get Flunk included. And this still is a great angle. Um, and I think it really shows the strengths of what Memphis could provide as well. Because over the course of this angle, which resulted in the no DQ match and then also the empty arena match, um, I mean, you have Funk just being a lunatic. Like, at one point, he comes in and interrupts just this random studio match and is yelling at Lance and Dave Brown and demands Lawler to come out, and they have a little bit of a pull apart, and that kind of sets the feud off. But then after that, and especially there's a, there's a promo uh, right before the empty arena match where Funk does a tape promo where he lays out the challenge and it's four minutes of him just doing a great promo where you believe everything he says and he's just, you know, this country hick that uh, has a way of saying stuff that really kind of, you know, hits you and kind of detest him, but also know that he's completely genuine, like that type of interesting uh, duality that makes a heel to me uh in some way work you know like greatest heels or stuff people you believe in what they're saying um and then it you know he's issuing this challenge to lawler he's of course saying like oh lawler there'll be no fans you won't have all the adoration you won't have all the money so i doubt you're man enough to accept this challenge gives the piece of paper to lance russell to give to lawler at the next studio taping uh tv and so then we cut to Lance and he's with Lawler and Lawler just looks at the piece of paper and says, you know, doesn't even say nothing. Like he doesn't cut this, you know, fired up baby face promo. Like, you know, you bet your ass I'll be there. Or, you know, like, you know, at, you know, any, any of these promos you would think like a stereotypical baby face would, he just looks at the piece of paper, goes, hmm, and kind of shrugs his shoulder and then walks away. And, like, it is so perfect. Like, it is like Memphis can only do that because now Lance is a little bit flabbergasted. And, is, you know, of course, he's like, well, okay, we'll have to see if he answers the challenge or not. Like, he leaves it on a cliffhanger. But it's like from what you know of these people and the trust that they've earned over the years, like, you know Lawler's going to show up. Like, you know he's going to do that. He just didn't have to advertly say that. Um, so that's why I included this promo series. I mean, it's it's a way to get Memphis on there. It's a way to get Funk and Lawler involved. But um, it's it's great Memphis storytelling on top of everything else. Yeah, you didn't, need, didn't necessarily need um, the matches, even if... The Memphis, there are great Memphis matches. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's tough to lead the matches, but I think Memphis over any territory. Uh, I'd put world class number two, just as a caveat. But I think Memphis more than any other territory to me is not about the matches. It's more about the characters and the angles and everything else, all the ancillary stuff. Yep, and we're gonna move on now to your second angle it's going to be kind of the 
famous uh, NWA attacking, uh, I mean, NWO attacking WCW Nitro (laughs) um, from July 29th, 1996. Yeah, so I won't go into much detail on this. Quick plug, me and uh, Justin did a great um, rundown of it on the Wrestling Warzone podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to that, but this is just an amazing episode of TV. Um, and just the way it's presented, how it feels like, you know, another nondescript match and then everything changes. Uh, you get Ray Mysterio who I also, you know, I wanted to include him and, you know, for better or worse, this is kind of one of the, <laughs> this is the one you get of his career. Yeah. Where he gets lawn darted in. Um, but just, you know, that's amazing. Like, this also gives you a little bit of Randy Savage, which I wanted, you know, it's nice to have him included. And I think, uh, you know, a lot about Randy Savage in the 30 seconds you see of him here being an absolute lunatic running and jumping on a limousine that's feeding away, you know, no stunt man needed, uh, just, just being a, a, a lunatic, um, it's just a great angle. It's it's something that hooked me. This was when I was living in Alabama. I was changing schools. Um, we just moved to Alabama that summer, so it was right before school started. And again, like I'd never had a wrestling friend in school up to this point. And I remember first day of school, someone was wearing like an NWO shirt, and I was like, ooh. I need to talk to this guy. And so like that was just a cool discovery. And uh, I think this angle of all the early NWO stuff, which they were pretty note perfect on uh, for the most part for the first few months, uh, I think this is just the best representation of it all. And it, it really shows the sacrifice because again, like this was when Bischoff being, he was being ballsy but wasn't just being flippant. Like there was a purpose to it. Like he sacrificed the quality of this show to get this angle over. Um, and you can see in the micro level that, you know, ratings for the show were not great. I mean, they were okay, but certainly not exceptional, but in the macro level, like this just worked. I mean, this worked brilliantly and, made a unpredictable type of aspect to nitro around this time that is so night and day that i mean raw is still four weeks taped in a row and it it feels very canned and forced and there's there's certain characters like austin starting to become more prominent and mankind there's there's glimpses there but i mean Nitro from this point was just just killing them, you know, week in, week out. And this is, to me, their best angle. There we go. That is uh, angle number two. We got now the last part of your <laughs> Destiny Cop. The final parting image of uh, this whole thing. <laughs> it is uh, the Tracy Smothers riot at uh, IWA Mid-South, um, <laughs> June 15th, 2002. Oh, my God. Now... You, you've seen this, Sam, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is just... I mean, take all your sleazy aspects of wrestling, and I mean, this this encapsulates it. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I, I do think wrestling can be artistic. It can be 
you know, a, a beautiful art form, have great athleticism, and you know, showcase and reach the deepest emotions of at least me as a fan. But also, like, it can just be like this. You know, screw it. I want to watch. <laughs> you know, I want. I want to watch Fast and the Furious, or I, I want to watch Transformers, or you know, I want to watch. Uh, Tracy Smothers get hit by uh, one pregnant stripper. I don't know if that was ever confirmed, but you know, get get hit uh, by a female in the in the crowd with this barbed wire thing, and this guy takes his shirt off and is ready to, you know, go to town. And it's just this crazy, crazy angle in the middle of Indiana that you know, like, if the cops were called, they would be like, you know, what in the world are we doing? Like, in this warehouse, they're having this dingy indie show that breaks out. Um, and, they, and, I mean, for better or for worse, like, IWA Mid-South was always kind of my indie. I don't know why, but I always was drawn to it. Because uh, I do think there's kind of some promotional qualities and Ian was always just such a, like, just such a fascinating fuck up, like, to be honest, too. <laughs> like, just, just, oh, I, I can't even begin to state. But, I mean, so, like, the clip, like, this is on YouTube, right? But, um, a wise choice, but full disclosure, I mean, if you watch this match, I think it's on high spots, like, you can watch the show. I, I mean, right before the riot happens, Roland Hard hits his finisher, which if you know Roland Hard's gimmick and you know what his finisher is, uh, you know, that the name of his finisher gets yelled out just in all its glory with the hard R right on commentary right before this riot happens. So it's, it's uh, I mean, just un unabashed like like you know i talked earlier about a flare depot this is what you do want to show your friends to say like what is this wrestling all about this is absolutely what you do not want to show your friends like this is what wrestling's all about this is the uh but in some this ways what, this really is what wrestling is all about yeah, i mean this is what <laughs> wrestling's all about right like if, if, if this is one of those like if you know you know you know it's yeah. a, this, this is the ultimate <laughs> you know what that means segment like i mean for better or for worse like i mean that's where wrestling is where now that i reflect back and think about it like i mean my god like my favorite wrestlers throughout my life have been hulk hogan jake roberts chris benoit rick flair uh, even somebody like Masawa, when you go to the Japanese sector, I mean, you know, at least with those first individuals I named, not, not good people, pretty un unequivocally, not great <laughs> folks. Um, and Masawa someone that was so, you know, addicted to it that he killed himself essentially because he couldn't, you know, break away. Uh, so also not maybe the most, uh, endearing trait uh not a role model either no not exactly your icon that you think about like oh this is somebody to look up to uh, over my life so um yeah i mean that's where you land so yeah you keep you keep this in your desert island cough you you know what this represents 
Uh, you're ashamed to be entertained by this, but every time I watch it, I'm completely entertained by it and I'm all in and, uh, just say that's, that's what it is for better or for worse. Uh, I'm glad that we kind of started with a small scale match in the kind of grand scheme that was kind of a trajectory for what wrestling is going to look like for the next 20 odd years. Um, or what would it look like in 20 years uh, in America. Right. And then we kind of end here uh, with this, which is kind of more just, mm, this, is what, this is what professional wrestling is when it uh, is really at its finest, um, when it takes place uh, in these small pockets, these smaller communities, um, you know, what kind of havoc can be reached um, in these sorts of settings. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's just emotion here that's genuine, and where I grew up, like, I mean, I grew up 15 minutes from, like, a dirt racing track where I've seen people bring their pickup trucks and go racing and getting wrecks and have fights and the pit stops and the mud and stuff, and, you know, I was a high school um, softball referee umpire where... You know, I saw 12 and 13 year old uh, softball result in big brawls where literally moms were scaling the fence to get into the baseball diamond because the catcher got run over. So uh, it's just, you know, human emotion was touched here. So it can happen in wrestling. That's what's most important, really. Um, Now that we're, we're, we're over and done here questions just kind of like in general like sure how comfortable are you feeling with this list because you weren't sure how you felt coming in but you seemed pretty high on the supply that was coming through your desert on comp here yeah i think coming out of it uh maybe i thought my bullshit in my way through it but uh i i feel better coming out talking to you than i did coming in when i we sent worked the through dm it. earlier yes. yeah we talked worked, through, worked it. through it all it's a different list than what we originally had i think you seem happy with it which is good you seem like yeah. okay this is this is what i would want for the rest of my days if this is what i was being left with um which i'm glad i'm glad uh <laughs> do you have any other kind of parting words otherwise i'll let you plug away here uh, nope, nope. Uh, I guess no uh, soliloquies to end. I'll just uh, give a quick plug that I do believe me and Justin Rosero are going to be starting back the Wrestling Warzone podcast uh, in the next month or so, probably from when this is released. So give that a listen. Um, and I, I guess I'll just give a overview. I, I did do a podcast with Justin, the Behind the Connection. You can listen to that, and I kind of uh, go into detail on my wrestling journey, too. I think both this pod I did here and that one are good complements of each other and kind of show where I'm at now. And um, I'll just say, like, you know, I, I've obviously uh, kind of took a little bit of sabbatical from social media. I appreciated all the DMs I got uh, from that. Um, it was well, well appreciated, well received. And I, I think for better or for worse, like, you know, this is a community we have and, um, you know, let's, it's, it's fun. It's fun to argue and 
like I said, it can be fun to rage quit over the greatest wrestler ever, over something as stupid as, you know, Ric Flair versus Bret Hart. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, like we're 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 nerds of the nerds in this wrestling game. So I, I think bringing back some sense of community for that and just recognizing and you know at the most basic level, like having human decency, I, I believe that's important. Like we can all. We don't necessarily have to agree like that these matches are amazing or, you know, you can think my list sucks or whatever, but, um, you know, we, we can, we can rise above it. It's not the end of, not the end of the world <laughs> in that regard. We're in this together. Exactly. Um, which I thank you for being on. Uh, you can go follow the, we don't know wrestling podcast network at WDKWP. And on Twitter, uh, you can listen to uh, Quentin and Tim R. Uh, then also they are recording the um, Psychology is Dead Top 50 Wrestlers of the Pandemic. Currently, not currently, currently, but currently. Um, so that should be coming out in the coming weeks. Um, so get ready to listen to that. I'm under the impression that following that, you're probably going to get some matches uh <laughs> being recorded with uh, uh, Brock and Quentin for Psychology is Dead. So uh, lots of stuff coming up over the next month or two. So excited to see kind of what the feed's going to be pumping out uh, over that time. So thank you all for listening and tune in next time.